welcome to Fresh New Shorts, where we offer new short stories from award-winning writers. Today's story is The Chemistry of Unhappiness by Erin McNair. Erin is a published nonfiction and fiction short story writer. Her work has appeared in The Walrus, Room Magazine, Event, and other journals and anthologies. She has an upcoming speculative fiction piece in the spring issue of Prairie Fire Magazine. She's currently working on a book of fictional short stories and a novel, and infrequently pens a blog, Views from the Obtuse Angle. Visit her website, www.erinmacnair.com, for more of her work. The Chemistry of Unhappiness won runner-up in Event Magazine's 2019 Speculative Fiction Contest. It's a dystopian tale where humans fall victim to their own emotional states. A silent attack from the inside out can unexpectedly cause you to freeze up or burn to ash. But there might just be a cure to save them all. And now, read by Sophie Blackmore, The Chemistry of Unhappiness. Everyone in the Java Jive is silent momentarily horrified at the way the man's color shifts from a milky beige to a frosty blue. He lifts his coffee cup so slowly, trying to reach his mouth, eyes darting like goldfish in a plastic bag. Who will be the one to tip his cup? The bitter taste on his tongue, his final send-off to worlds unknown? But we don't know if it's catching, like a virus. There's the telltale snap like a gigantic vacuum sealing itself shut, what black holes must sound like. Information released by the authorities to the public has been vague, just some banalities to do with our serotonin levels and a loss of happiness. My thesis advisor has a theory. We are witnessing an adaptation of the human race. Emotional overload now damages our systems beyond repair. My research shows we start the process ourselves, that it begins with a splintering dissatisfaction, maybe a buried memory, and grows from there like a fungus in the walls. The now frozen man's cup hovers permanently, just short of his pursed lips. A mom with a baby in a cloth sling sighs and takes out her phone. She snaps a picture for the missing, Google's new homepage. I'm thankful. I forget to delete the uploaded photos, instead carting a graveyard around on my phone. We all go back to what we are doing. I'd rather not have seen it happen this morning, just as I'm completing the future research recommendations for my dissertation, The Effects of Technology on Body Chemistry. But there's never any warning, just the snapping sound and then the wide-eyed look before we either combust or solidify to ice, flame up or freeze out. It's routine now, this sudden death all around us. We don't want to look, but we do, even though we know it will harm us irreparably. It's like staring into the sun. Each time we see it happen, it siphons off a bit more of our happiness. The barista with oversized ears watches from behind the counter. He groans and pulls out an enormous ice grappling hook from its resting place between the cabinet and boxes of coffee lids. He does his best to secure the man, dragging him into the back room, chair and all. He scrapes the man's leg against the corner of the counter cabinet, leaving behind flakes of blue jeans and pinkish bits that might be skin, and mutters to himself, 
about how he likes the hot ones better. Then, all you need is a dustpan. I'm not the only one who hears him. An older woman next to me, wearing a substantial scarlet winter coat, even though it's not yet winter, scowls. Shame, she says. She's either talking to him, or just speaking generally. The frozen man had been doodling on his brown paper napkin. Some form of chemistry chain, or maybe just a geometric pattern. What if this scribbling is meaningful? It's the last thing he was thinking about, anyway. I slide the napkin off the table and place it in my purse. No one seems to notice, except maybe Scarlet Coat. The barista comes out of the back room, pausing to pull a croissant out of the microwave. Arlie! Arlie! Big Ears calls out. I collect my croissant, which is cold again, and decide no work is happening today. Everything goes into my backpack, except the croissant, which I fold into a napkin and jam in my jacket pocket. I'll be a cold snap as well, like my brother. I know it. He was one of the first to go. My parents blame themselves for not accepting who he was, that he must have somehow chosen it rather than face them with his lifestyle choices. But I knew him best. He would never have left Damien by himself. I'm a few blocks away before I notice my purse isn't hanging off my shoulder. Back at the cafe, it's not on the hard-slated chair, not on the floor, not anywhere. Everyone in the room is quiet, busying themselves in their gadgetry, inhaling the smell of burnt roasted beans. Scarlet Coat watches me from under a thick awning of dyed black bangs, her tea bag cooling on the table in a muddy pool. I ask at the counter, but Big Ears gives me a shrug. I didn't see it. No one turned anything in. My face blazes from the cheeks outward. He starts to back away, eyes widening, but I'm just pissed off. I look around the room again. No one meets my gaze. They are all so, so busy. Assholes, I shout, hoping they take offense. I don't wait to see if they do. On my way out, I flick the tea bag into the woman's lap. She makes a mewling little cry, but I know she has my purse. She's a halo of wrongness about her. But what am I going to do? Jump an old woman? The streets of downtown glimmer with the facets of mirrored windows. I'm startled by my reflection. I look like an urban chirpa, fuzzy toque over my bare skull, hunched under the weight of the ancient eye brick in my backpack. If I ever publish my paper, I'll buy something lighter with more memory. A quick inventory, my phone is gone, my wallet, a ten-year-old lipstick. Now I'll have to go upstairs and ask for money. My chest pinches and folds in on itself. What could be waiting for me? My lungs hurt. The air is suddenly viscous. The pharmacy is busy today. The queue I pass snakes its way down the sidewalk. Everyone wants a drug. Anything that'll keep them emotionless. Even Stephen. I shaved off my hair because it felt like it would help more than drugs. Mom was still talking about my forsaken thick curls last week. How I should have been an actress with those dark, brooding eyes, not a student who never graduates. She complained about the hat I never took off, but my knitted toque is like a safety blanket, an egg warmer. If the world is ending, I don't want to deal with straighteners. Living in my parents' basement suite was supposed to be temporary, but rents are high, so I just stayed. I don't think they resent me for it, but I know I don't pay nearly enough rent. I haven't talked to them in a few days, and 
I haven't heard any noises from upstairs either. I rang the doorbell and called out, but no one answered. What if I find two piles of ash, one in the recliner, one on the kitchen linoleum, or just large wet stains on the bed? Their car is still in the driveway. I'm just going to wait. They might just be visiting friends. They don't always leave a note. They're very private people. My paper might never get published, so everyone I talk to becomes my living record. I've lost friends over it, but I knew that would happen. People don't want to hear about the circuitry of our brains, rewired at a cellular level, our emotions attacking us. Unprecedented dopamine fluctuations that create massive misfires, blah, 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 they say. Sometimes they say, shut the fuck up, Arlie, it doesn't matter now. But I know it does. My professor thinks so too. Thought so. I was informed by email that Professor Faraz expired on the weekend. The university didn't say how. My guess is that he was a burner. Lots of rumors about him. Reasons for profound unhappiness, if the gossip was valid. There's a crash on the street behind me. Someone from the queue has fallen into the road and shattered. People turn from their phones to observe ice cubes skittering across the tarmac. Some take pictures. Car tires crunch over the broken bits. How little space in the world we take up. Just tiny chunks. I wait at the corner for the walk sign and look up at the tops of the skyscrapers, like giant shards of glass. People used to talk about what would happen if the city had an earthquake. The ever-shifting plates beneath our feet just waiting for the right moment to send us back into the sea. But now nobody talks about that. An old man is leaning against a light pole, just before the crosswalk. His feet shift back and forth, a message scribbled on a ripped piece of cardboard at his feet. Water, food, whatever. Peace and love, Matt. He grimaces back when I smile at him, cracking the crust on the edges of his dry lips. His eyes are a deep azure, the kind that must have been handsome a long time ago before all the pale folds moved in like land reclaiming water. As I'm about to offer Matt my croissant, I notice his neck going pink under the unshaven thicket of white hair. Usually there's the pink, then a quick reddening. The final fleeting crimson disintegrates into black ash. Some people crack like lava, leaving little charred mounds of blackened flesh. Most go up in dark smoke, reduced to pile of ash. It happens so fast. He looks at his hands, startled. I don't think, grabbing Matt around the waist, holding his cooking body next to mine. Matt, Matt, I say. His skin deepens to magenta. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. He doesn't combust. The air around us quickens with a sudden gust of wind. He stays, body shaking, his reddened neck slowly returning to its former pallor. We hold each other under the glass that threatens to rain down on us some other day. This is one of the many stories available from Fresh New Shorts. We hope you enjoy them all. Rate us and let us know your comments on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can learn more about this story's author, Aaron McNair, at www.aaronmcnair.com. Come back and listen to us again.